you for tuning into the Short Stacks. I'm Lisa Quintero, Young Adult Librarian. And I'm Nick Barron, patron and sometimes volunteer. This is the show where we talk to you about what we've been reading, listening to, or watching. But first, library news. So we've got several events coming up. Today is Friday, February 19th, and today we actually have a grown-up take and make, and I don't know if there'll still be any left by the time that this is posted, but hopefully there will be. Um, it is a macrame hanger for a little pot, and it is big enough to where you could put your pinch pot that you made last, if, if you did the pinch pot for the last one, you could put that in there and then put a little plant in there. It's very cute. Um, on Monday the 22nd, we have Tinker Lab to go, which is an electric air racer. And right now we currently have a table outside of the youth services department, which is where we are putting all of our kits for children, teens, and adults. So if you're looking for something to do, check that table out. Uh, there's usually the sample out there as well as the, to, or the kits to take home. So explain um, what an electric air racer is, because somebody that hears that quickly would hear electric eraser. <laughs> it's not an electric eraser, it's an electric air racer. And yeah, it's um, it's like a car, basically, um, that has a little motor on it and a uh, fan to propel it along. Um, and so there's different designs that you can do and kind of it gives kids an opportunity to, to play with engineering and, and testing out different designs to see which work the best um so very cool that's this one and then on tuesday february 23rd we have rhyme time tuesday with miss heidi in the morning online and on wednesday the 24th we have art cart to go and then the following week is march already it's hard to believe that it's march um that uh following week on wednesday we'll have another art cart to go and then we also have the pm book club with Haley. Uh, it looks like the book this week is Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by Olga uh, Tokarczuk. And it looks like it's a mystery set in Poland. So it sounds, it sounds interesting. I, I want to read this blurb. <laughs> All right, read the blurb. Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead is a provocative exploration of the murky borderland between sanity and madness, justice and tradition, and autonomy and fate. There you go. Sorry. It sounds... <laughs> Sounds very dramatic. Yes, I I, I like that. <laughs> and then on Thursday, March 4th, we have Storytime Online at 9 a.m. with Miss Heidi. Um, and the PM Book Club is also online, so you can find the Zoom link on our calendar at showwoodlibrary.org. All right, so let's go on to... From the Stacks. So as promised, this week we are going to be talking about Ready Player Two by Ernest Klein. Uh, which we just finished listening to a couple nights ago on audiobook narrated by Will Wheaton. So um, kind of give you an, an overview of what Ready Player One is if you haven't read it or seen the movie. Um, Ready Player One is about a bunch of, like it's, it's set in the future and it's in a world where there's this thing called the Oasis. It's like this virtual world. And most people spend a lot of their time hooked up to the virtual world rather than out about with other humans. Um, and so in the, like, kids go to school in the virtual world, um, there's games in the virtual world, um, it's just everybody's form of escape, and, and the world has gotten to a point where, you know, it's very overcrowded and polluted, and people live in these trailers that are stacked up on top of each other, and there's a lot of poverty, and so in order to escape um, some of that, people hook into the oasis, and so there's this the creator of the Oasis is named James Halliday, and uh, he's revered by pretty much everybody who uses the Oasis. 
and he dies in the first book. And when he dies, he creates what he calls this Easter egg hunt. Um, and, you know, in movies or in video games, an Easter egg is often like a little hidden thing that only like real fans get because it's like, you know, self-referencing or, or um, I don't know. How would you explain an Easter egg, Nick? <laughs> okay. So um, an Easter egg is, is something where, where they deliberately place an influence or a, um, a deep cut of something from another influential work in order to, um, in order to honor that particular thing. Um, but they want people to be able to look at that and be like, oh, you know, they reference that in the Mandalorian because it's referencing um, this, you know, uh, Western or uh, this, this, um, you know, classic samurai movie or what have you. And or so self-referencing where it's like, you know, referencing the Clone Wars or referencing um, some other part of the Star Wars. Yes, but usually in, in that case, it would be a deep cut where it's like yeah. something like that these, the casual fan would, would not pick up on, but somebody that's like a super fan would be like, ah, yeah. that's it. So basically uh, Halliday's Easter egg hunt is that. So people have to go around looking for, I can't remember how many Easter eggs there are, but there's a, they get clues and they have to go find them. And whoever wins this contest uh, will inherit his empire. So they will inherit his company. They will inherit his mansion. They will inherit his fortune because he is a bachelor who never had any children. And so he makes this big contest up um, for, for somebody to take over the company. And um, so the whole first book is kind of about this, the main character is named Wade Watts and his friends. Um, he has a few different friends that he's met in the virtual world who he's never met in person. Like when, like his best friend from school is named H and then he ha uh, meets a few other people along the way as they're searching for the Easter eggs because they decide that it's, it's easier finding them if you team up with other people rather than if you do it on your own. And um, so the first book is a, is a story of friendship. It's a story like an adventure story. It, it has a lot of um, pop culture references from the 70s and 80s. And both Nick and I were, were big fans of that. And, um, you know, it had us smiling a lot at a lot of the pop culture references. Can I, can I interject? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that really stuck out to me about Ready Player One is Ready Player One is a love letter to all of the things that I grew up with in middle school. Um, there's a chapter that references Rush 2112. There's a chapter that references uh, the D&D module Tomb of Horrors. There's all sorts of Atari 2600 and Commodore 64 references. There was just all of this stuff that it references, you know, classic movies from the early 80s. There was all these things that it, that it referenced that I was so in love with and so immersed in as a kid that reading the book or listening to the book, it was just overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of a, a overview. And basically, Wade and his friends end up winning the contest. And at the end of the book, spoiler, sorry, if you haven't read the first book, um, and, uh, and they end up winning the contest. And so the second book kind of picks up from what life is like for them after they won the contest. So yeah, so let's go into Ready Player Two. So both books are narrated by Will Wheaton. 
And what the first one came out in 2011, and then Ready Player Two just came out in 2020. Um, I'm Back going to try. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try my best not to spoil anything. There probably will be spoilers at some point, but I will warn you. So if you want to turn this off because you're like, I do not want Lisa to spoil the ending of this book for me, um, I will. I will say spoiler alert beforehand, and then, and I will save I, all I, my. I, I will hang on. I will save all my spoilers until the very end. Okay. I was just going to say I will try and try and stop you when you. I'll know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how about you give us an overview of what Ready Player Two is about without spoiling it? Because you will probably be better at doing that than me. <laughs> okay. So Ready Player Two uh, picks things up pretty much like a month or so after the contest is over. I mean, it's actually, he's referencing what happened like a month after uh, Wade, Wade Watts, the main character is referencing what happened starting at about a month after the contest mm-hmm. um, and goes through, you know, the meteoric rise to taking over this company. You know, he's just a kid. Um, and he, you know, here he is, he's, he's now the uh, um, taken over this company. He has immense power because the Oasis is this um, virtual living space essentially that people log into and they you know go to work go to school do all these things all within the oasis he has basically godlike powers within the oasis he can go and find people and listen to their conversations he can go and um you know basically basically you know show up invisible and then kill their avatar um which for somebody who plays like something like World of Warcraft, they can understand what I'm referencing there. But essentially, they can kill their virtual presence, um, sending them back to uh, to zero level or first level, and then having to start over again in in the world. He can also revive people if they die. He can also revive people if they die. But yeah, uh, overall, he is this godlike figure, and the power goes straight to his head, and he starts doing things in retribution to mean things that people say to him on, uh, you know, the Oasis and in the media. And so he, especially because of the fact that the, one of the first major decisions that he comes across having to make is, you know, he's given the keys to the castle essentially of uh, the corporation that uh, Halliday had created. And he is, presented with something called the ONI, um, which is a new version of a new way of linking into the Oasis. Yeah, because in the first book, um, people use haptic rigs. And for those who don't know what a haptic thing is for a video game, it's it's like gloves that allow you to move your hands so that in the video game, your hands will be moving how your actual hands are moving. Yeah, Kind of like if you've ever played a Wii, like moving the, the joystick around, you know, it moves kind of similar to how your body's moving. So a haptic rig kind of was a whole thing that you would put on your body, a suit, um, so that you could, if you were walking in this suit, it would mimic your, like, your cartoon version of you in the Oasis would also be walking. Yes. Um, so and the ONI is actually, like, a thing where it's new and it's the thing that you put on your head and it, like, basically hooks straight into your brainwaves and you don't need to wear haptic suits anymore. It just, like, like your brain controls your body in real life, this thing allows you to control your virtual body with just your brain. Yeah, and so the with the haptic rig, like when he was when he was you know poor young Wade Watts, um, he was wearing the gloves and just had like a visor and basically running around in his in his uh, 
there was a van, an abandoned van beneath his trailer that he would like, he'd run cords to and he would hang out and he'd basically just run in place in his van. And then you graduate, like, you're like, okay, I've got a little bit more money. I'm going to get a treadmill. And so then there's a treadmill so that you can run in place. But with the ONI, you just imagine yourself walking or running or flying and whatever your brain pictures, that's what you do. Um, also with the ONI, um, that one thing that I thought was cool and important to mention too is that the haptic rig, like if you if you get stabbed in the Oasis, you don't feel it. Whereas the ONI, your brain reacts to it like if it's happening to you in real life. So you still feel pain. You feel, you know, all these different sensations. You, you taste things. Yeah. You, you feel everything. Yeah, the, the, the pain, though, was not as severe. They, they, they were very clear, clear about that so that, yeah. uh, um, you know, you could experience jumping off a building just to find out what it was like. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the thing about Ready Player Two is it starts off in, in really kind of a dark place. Like the first like 10 chapters are very dark. Um, it goes over explaining him taking over the company. It goes over explaining what the ONI is. Um, and ONI, it's also an acronym, acronym that also is referring to Oni, which is a demon or a devil in uh, Japanese mythology. Um, and so, you know, Halliday, when he created this thing, he knew it was not necessarily like it could change the world, but it could change the world for the good or for the worse. And so he had chosen not to unleash it upon the world. He wanted his successor to make that decision. And here's this kid, Wade Watts, being given this decision. The other thing that's really important about the ONI is that it can record all of your experiences and all of your memories. And so it allowed you to, like, you could make recordings of things that you felt and upload them like it was YouTube. So you could, um, let's say, go skydiving and record that memory wearing in the ONI headset and then upload it to the Oasis, and then somebody could download it and experience you as you falling from the sky skydiving. Um, and so, so it, yeah, so it would give you like insight into how other people feel and other people think. And um, so, you know, it has all these, like when Wade first puts it on, he's like, it has all these wonderful possibilities, but it also has all these terrible possibilities, you know, but he focuses on the wonderful because he's like, in the beginning of the book, uh, like at the end of Ready Player One and beginning of Ready Player Two, he's like a 16, 17 year old kid. And then after the first couple of chapters, it kind of fast forwards to him being, I think, like in his early 20s. Yeah, because it, it, the bulk of the book is three years into the new contest. Yeah. Um, but yet, like he does focus on some. Uh, one of the things that's that's important to note is they do talk about the the darker aspects of it, but they don't dwell in it. They mention that you can experience all the drugs and sex and all these other things that, um, you know, people would want to experience through this technology. But at the same time, you know, they don't get into the nitty gritty of, of that. They just reference, oh, you know, this, this is a thing that I can and have done. Um, mm. So, because it is still a, it's meant to be just like a, a fun romp sci-fi book um not not so mm. so much getting into those really dark aspects but the the other thing that they focus on is in ready player one he falls in love with samantha cook also known as artemis 
and they have like a two week long relationship where or maybe a month where they're where they're actually together and then he's given the keys to the castle he's won the contest and is presented with the ONI and he explains what it is to his now business partners because all the people that were part of the that won the contest with him he gave them partial ownership of Halliday's company and ultimately um you know they they vote on everything and Wade and Shoto and H decide that the Oni should be released into the world. And Artemis, Samantha Cook, was like, no. And so this causes this huge rift between the two of them. And so that is like a huge part of, you know, where the book goes. And then the book goes on to um, a new contest. So after a couple years... You know, Wade's kind of bored in the in the oasis, and he ends up discovering this, this new contest. Um, I don't remember how he discovers it, but basically, it, the new contest is he has to collect seven shards. The, it, I think it was on a on like a timer. Basically, after the um, O and I had been released into the world, a certain amount of time elapsed, and then it just happened. It was just triggered. Yeah, and so then he. Um, Starts looking for the other shards and set the seven shards of the siren's soul. Yes, and I don't think I can talk about the seven shards without spoiling things. Um, uh, so <laughs> I'll, I'll give a, a brief explanation. So the shards are are similar to the the Easter eggs that he was trying to find in Ready Player One. Uh, each of the shards is actually a fragment of real li- life memories of um james halliday's love interest business partner yeah, bus- and business, and business partner. partner um and so halliday wants uh essentially the person to recombine the seven shards of the siren soul in order to win this contest won't explain ex- explain it in greater detail than that but es- essentially the idea is is that um, it is the seven shards of the siren's soul. And the one spoiler that I will give is that it ends up being found out that um, the quests are related to a D&D module that she had written for her friends mm-hmm. of the same name. Yeah, because she, uh, so just like Parzival, Wade Watts, she and Ogden Morrow and James Halliday were the ones who started the Oasis, but they ended up having a falling out and both Ogden Morrow and Kira is the name of the woman. Both of them ended up leaving the company. And so it's this tragic story because like James Halliday was always in love with his best friend's wife, girlfriend. Um, but you, you learn more about James Halliday in the second book and who he was as a person. Um, in the first book, you learn a lot about him, but it's a lot of, fanboy kind of stuff where like the the main characters all idolized him and in the second book they kind of realized that he was a very flawed human being and i think it kind of mirrors what wade is is going through as well with his friends and with samantha um and makes him think a bit more about you know how he's handling things because he always has to be right about everything and he feels like he knows best. And, and Halliday also, you know, kind of had that that mentality of he knew best and he was always right about everything. And 
ended up living by himself with no heirs because he always had to be right. So, yeah. um, and with, you know, no friends and that's, living in yeah, the expansion. And, that, and that's, that's one of the, the key, <clears throat> one of the key things that it sets up in the book with like the first 10 chapters is this, this idea that, cause Wade is, is the hero of ready player one and you get into ready player two and that like first 10 chapters of the book, um, you, it is basically laying out all of his flaws and, and, and how he is flawed um, and how it affects all of the things that he does. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so each, uh, each of the shards has clues on it. And so you have to follow the clues just like in ready player one to find the next shard. Uh, I think I, I enjoyed this one a little bit more than Nick. Um, so in the Oasis, there's different planets that you can go to and different planets have different themes to them. Um, so one of the planets that they go to in this one is a prince planet and they have to battle like seven incarnations of prince. Um, one of the planets that they go to is a planet that's based on J.R.R. Tolkien's... Um, Silmarillion. Yeah, uh, the Silmarillion and, and just Lord of the that Rings That planet in general is and, just and, the Silmarillion. Yeah. yeah, well, that one's just the Silmarillion, but they, they keep referring to the other one that is the Lord yep. of the Rings, you know, and so um, so there's different planets on different things, you know, they mentioned that there are other planets that they, they don't go to them, but they mentioned there's like a Beyonce planet, and there's like, a, they have a John Hughes planet, and as a person who grew up on John Hughes movies, um, I thought that was pretty cool, the, the planet is called Shermer, and um, the world is basically like the world that all of John Hughes' movies take place in, and it has like various incarnations of you know, each of the characters, because like Molly Ringwald, you know, was in several John Hughes movies. So each of her different characters is in the in the planet and like in certain parts of the planet it's daytime and certain parts of the planet it's nighttime and certain parts of the planet it's winter. Um and so I thought that was a really, really interesting thing. Yeah, if if um, you drive down the street that home alone the home alone house is on, it is always winter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, and so on Shermer, you know, you get to witness various scenes from from the different movies because all the the John Hughes movies are basically playing there and repeat. So they get on a school bus and and it's the scene from Sixteen Candles where they get on the school bus and these like kids, you know, are spitting spitballs at them. <laughs> and um, so yeah, if you're if you're a John Hughes fan, that one, that part was exciting. Um, I think you know in Ready Player One, I think that pushed a lot more of of Nick's. Nostalgia buttons because I didn't grow up on a Commodore 64. Um, I didn't grow up with all those Atari games. I had Sega, Genesis, you know, um, there's a nine year difference between us. And so things that I grew up with her were different. And um, some of the stuff mentioned in the first book, I liked a lot too, because I, some of the music and uh, movie references, I totally got, but some of the video game stuff he had to explain to me because I was like, I don't know what that is. Um, and then in this one, there's more mentions of things like, you know, they don't go to a Harry Potter planet, but there's mentions of things like Horcruxes and there's mention of more modern geek culture. There's um, a, a Dance Dance Revolution reference. and Yeah, there's different things that, you know, are, I guess, appeal more to, to the it's, younger It's more audience. multi-generational. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is more multi-generational. Um, so yeah, I think in terms of the, the pop culture references, I think this one I liked a little bit more than the last one, but I enjoyed both of them. I was not a big fan of the ending of this book. How did you feel about the ending of this book? Um, in all honesty, without getting into spoilers, um, yeah, I I was disappointed in the end as well. It was a little too... Like it was wrapped yeah, up in, in a 
we'll just leave it at that. It wraps up a little too neatly um, for for my tastes. I, I like things a bit more um, messy. I like a I like a nice messy yeah. end. Yeah, well, you know, you and I both, I think, appreciate those sorts of endings more because they seem more realistic. You know, it's like, how often do you get the Disney ending where everybody lives happily yeah. ever after, you know? And it's basically that's the ending is like, everybody lives happily ever after. And you're just like, Ugh. yeah, there, there, there is kind of a setup <laughs> for a possible another book. But um, but in terms of the relationships between people, it's very neat and tidy. And I will only give one spoiler, and that spoiler's coming right now. I really did not like that in the end, Samantha and Parzival. And that's what I was trying to avoid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I'm not going to give anything else away. There's a lot of stuff that happens at the end. I'm not going to give it away. But Samantha and Parzival end up back together. And I'm just like, he's been such a jerk. Why does he deserve to get the girl? And I feel like it, it played into a lot of those 1980s and like 90s movies where like you know the nerd gets the girl you know he redeems himself when he gets the girl or whatever and it's like i don't know i just it felt like it was unrealistic yeah. um but but yeah anyway that's just yeah. my two cents um, um i am looking at a a picture of ernest klein right now and it totally makes sense um <laughs> but uh yeah the book overall if if you love the if you enjoyed the first book just for that deep dive into different um different pop culture areas it it is a really enjoyable book in terms of that because this is a guy that loves the minutia of everything it's like when you get to the prince planet like the level of detail to the Prince planet is just like, if, if you, if you're, if you're hoping to party like it's 1999 and hear about raspberry beret and, and just full on purple rain it, you are there. Um, and uh, <laughs> as far as, as far as like all the John Hughes reference, the John Hughes chapter is is very entertaining. And the, the level of minutia in that is, is just fantastic. You know, for me, as as I said, Ready Player One was a love letter to all the things that I grew up with. So it had it hit me right here. Yeah, and this this was more of a letter of love letter to things that I grew up with. You know, um, yeah, because like I said, I grew up on all those all those John Hughes movies, like the Ferris Bueller and Sixteen Candles and Breakfast Club yeah. and all, all that. So, so, but uh, but yeah, as as far as the 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 one thing that we didn't get really into, um, I don't know how we're doing on time, but the one thing that we didn't get into is. So, so we, we see this, this descent into Wade, you know, kind of the power and, and the fame and all that, him starting to just suck. Um, and then mm -hmm. there is kind of an arc of redemption, not just for Wade, but also for nerds everywhere. Mm -hmm. Because there's a bunch of stuff referenced where... Um, like his friend H calls him out or, or calls out various things and says, yeah, you know, I love this, but you know, this is, this is what's messed up about this. Middle earth is great, but where are the people of color, for example? Um, and so there's a lot mm -hmm. of like, like things in ready player two, where it's like, 
you know, here are some of the things that we should be aware of in our beloved immersive nerd culture that we should work on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I uh, I thought that was a good aspect of it. And I think I liked Ready Player One more than Ready Player Two, but I, I still would recommend listening to Ready Player Two. Will Wheaton does a great job yes. narrating it, um, just like he did with the first one. Yeah, and there's mentions of Star Trek The Next Generation, which is just funny to me because he was Wesley Crusher. All right. Well, I think that's it for our episode today. If you have any questions or comments for our hosts, email us at shorewoodstacks at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can also post to the Podbean app. Um, We are on Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, I had something and then I got distracted. Um, Yeah, no. All right. As always, thanks for listening and be well. The Shorewood Stacks is produced by Lisa Quintero and Nick Barron for the Shorewood Public Library. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod and can be found on incompetech.com. The song is called Ice Flow.